Today is Wednesday, July 21st. The title for our devotional is The Hallmark of Jesus' Ministry. This combination of the love of God and neighbor is what Scott McKnight calls the Jesus Creed. Creeds are a short synopsis of a much larger set of beliefs or practices. So these are common in the history of Christianity. Think about the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. This creed of Jesus can be seen as kind of the governing principle of Jesus' teaching and ministry. So if we want to summarize what Jesus was all about and what it looks like to live with his kingdom values, this does it pretty well. When we read through the Gospels and through the, through the lens of the Jesus creed, we see this theme everywhere. It seems as if this connection, loving God with loving one's neighbor, was a rather large blind spot in the religious tradition of the Pharisees. And I would argue that it's a large blind spot in the religious traditions of just about every religious tradition in the history of the world. The church today is no exception to that. We'll be exploring this for the next few weeks, but for today, let's look at a few moments in Jesus' ministry that highlight his emphasis on the connection between loving God and loving one's neighbor. Some of these are the most, uh, <laughs> the most well-known stories throughout Jesus' life and ministry. First is the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is perhaps the most stark illustration of this principle. But I'm not going to go into detail on this. We'll discuss this next week. We're going to spend a whole week on it. Then think of the parable of the prodigal son through this lens. If you're not familiar with the parable, check it out in Luke 15, 11 through 32. At the end of the parable, Jesus introduces the older son, who clearly represents the religious people of Israel, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. While the father rejoices at the prodigal son's return, the older son becomes angry. In his conversation with his father, we see how he has detached loving his father, that would be God in this parable, uh, from loving his brother, that would be our neighbor in the parable. The father gently, lovingly calls him back to this realization with these words in Luke 15, verses 28 to 31. Then the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So again, note these themes as I'm reading it. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. And then listen to the the father's response. My son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So we see in the older son a commitment to serving the father, to doing what he told him to do, to religious obligation and doing what is right. But the older son missed the big picture that he must also love his brother who was dead and now is alive again, was lost and now is found. So in this, one of the most notable parables in Jesus' ministry, we see this theme clear as day. Next, we see this also when Jesus chooses to dine with Matthew and his crew of tax collectors and sinners. The Pharisees avoided dining with them out of a desire to remain faithful to the Torah. Jesus' point is that they have missed the bigger picture of the Torah and calls them to its true interpretation. As McKnight says on this, we are not called to the love of Torah, but to the Torah of love. Again, Jesus, as the ultimate interpreter, points out how throughout God's law, even in the Old Testament, we see 
that it is about loving one's neighbor. Matthew 9, 10 through 13, we read, While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. Now he quotes the Torah, which to the Pharisees was a, was a real dig, okay? They positioned themselves in the Jewish culture as being the ultimate interpreters of the Torah, claiming to know it and understand it better than anyone else. It was their job to teach it. And Jesus is saying to them, in, in essence, that like, you guys have completely missed it. As McKnight says, they, they had loved the Torah, but they weren't reading the Torah of love. So he says, uh, but go and learn what this means. He quotes the Torah again. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Then, of course, Jesus says it plainly in his rebuke of the Pharisees in Matthew 23. In verses 23 to 24, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Again, here he's pointing to how they had fulfilled all of their religious duties and obligations by tithing even the smallest spices, but they had missed the love of neighbor by practicing justice, mercy, and faithfulness. As the teacher of the law, whom Jesus affirms is, quote, not far from the kingdom of God in Mark 12, as we've read this so far this week, he confesses after Jesus answers his question as to the greatest commandment, to love him with all of your heart, with all of your, all of your understanding, with all of your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. These are indeed more important than any fulfillment of religious duty. Again, Jesus teaches it plainly in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 23 to 24. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. So we could go on and on and on with examples of this from Jesus' life and ministry. For today, suffice it to say that this was one of, if not the dominant theme of Jesus' teaching and ministry, so we cannot miss it. For additional content, I'm going to read the last section of Scott McKnight's first chapter of the Jesus Creed. He writes this, After teaching about Jesus for 20 years, I have come to the conviction that the most historically accurate way of presenting what Jesus teaches about spiritual formation is the Jesus Creed. Jesus learned to recite the Shema as a child, and his own followers as Jews would have recited it as a matter of course. I have every reason to believe that his followers would have continued this practice after they met Jesus, but they would have recited it in a slightly amended form. They would have recited a love God and love others creed, what I call the Jesus creed. Put it put in its simplest form, Jesus gave it to his followers a creed in order to shape their spiritual formation. That creed has been given to us as well. It is my recommendation that each of us, in an experiment of ordering our lives around the spiritual formation principle of Jesus, memorize and then repeat the Jesus Creed daily, to remind ourselves of what our Lord asks of us. The Jesus Creed has become a silent partner in my life, sometimes when I sit, sometimes when I walk, sometimes when I lie down, but always when I rise in the morning. 
I simply and quietly recite to myself and before God the Jesus Creed. It punctuates my morning. It sets a rhythm to my day and settles my day into a comfortable spot. It constantly reminds me, not as a command, but as a confession, that whatever I do throughout the day is to be shaped by loving God and loving others. I need that reminder. Whatever our vocations, spiritual formation for Jesus begins with the Jesus Creed. Jesus calls each of us to offer our vocations to him so that we might, in the words of Parker Palmer, let our life speak. When you become and what I become, or what you become and what I become will be different, but it will be the life that we have been given to speak to others. And that life is to be shaped by the Jesus Creed. A scribe asks Jesus about the essence of spiritual formation, and Jesus gives him an old answer with a revolutionary twist. Love God and love others, and love God by following me. The scribe realizes that he will need to recenter everything. So for reflection time today, simply reflect on that, the significance of loving God and loving others. Commit today, every day, to living your life based on the Jesus Creed. Say it when you wake up, when you pray, when you sit down, whenever your mind wanders. Reflect on the Jesus Creed today.